Welcome to Steadfast, a pro-life podcast where we talk about how the pro-life movement is evolving and how you can participate. Our goal is to empower you with knowledge of science, philosophy, politics, and theology so that you can go out and lovingly change the world, even if that's just one heart at a time. Our hope is that you'll feel comfortable meeting anyone wherever they are at in this moment, confronting their fears and hurt with love and compassion. I'm your host, Sammy Carroll, Education Coordinator at Life Choices Women's Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, and our prayer is that this podcast inspires you. Welcome to Steadfast. What is up, everybody? Today on Steadfast, we are talking to Father Kurt Pereira about healing ministry, particularly healing for the post-abortive woman. We also dive into the role of men in all this, because I don't know if you've heard the whole no uterus, no opinion, but we dive right into that. I just want to say a big thank you to Father Kurt Pereira for coming in, talking to us. Uh, he actually came to my house for this. This was our first episode that we recorded. So I do want to apologize in advance for the little bit of wonkiness that's the audio in this episode, but I hope that you enjoy this conversation and just a big shout out and thank you to Father Kurt. Hello, Father Kurt. Hey, Sammy. How are you doing? I'm great. Welcome to Steadfast Podcast. Thank can you, you for uh, having me. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Sure. My name is Father Kurt Pereira. I'm um, a Catholic priest and I've been a Catholic priest for nine years now. And um, before that, at the very beginning, I was stationed at, um, or I was assigned rather, it's not a station, but <laughs> I was assigned to, uh, to as a parochial vicar, uh, which is like an associate pastor of the cathedral, as well as a part-time high school chaplain at Borgate Catholic. And I did that for about four years. And then the past five years, I've been a full-time chaplain at Notre Dame Prep in Scottsdale in residence at Our Lady of Joy. And just this past summer, I was recently um, uh, appointed Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Phoenix, formator of the Nazareth House, and as of this past Monday, parochial, interim parochial administrator of a, of a parish. So, so you're very busy. Well, <laughs> I am, I, God has given me a lot, of, a lot of things, but I'm sure he gives me a time, right? So. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that, I mean, it's been wonderful knowing you were the past we figured this out. It's taken us a little bit of time, but we figured <laughs> out maybe four or five years of knowing each other. Um, but I, I'm glad that the diocese is recognizing your gift of reaching people, especially young people, as far as vocations go. So I'm excited for your your new rule role. Yeah, I'm really excited too. Working with young people as they journey through life and discover what God is calling them to do is always exciting. Yeah. So. Well, tell us about your involvement in the pro-life movement. So um, the very earliest memories of working in the pro-life movement occurred when I was, I would say, in high school. Um, I think I was maybe a freshman or maybe an eighth grader, and I was involved with the Legion of Mary at the time. And so one of the fundraisers that we decided to do was to help a... Is the Legion of Mary Maximilian Colby's? Um, no, it's not. But um, it's certainly Maximilian Kolbe was one of the, of of the you know kind of the in, inspiring saints that helped form it. But it was actually through Frank Duff, um, and he was a guy lay, layman in in Ireland who helped form it. And it was like to be out in the parishes and for people to go spread the word of God and have you know it was 
it was kind of revolving around the standard of of Mary and okay. it kind of the, yeah. But anyway, so Legion of Mary too was also uh, a very uh, pro life group, and so I remember working with my pastor at the time, and I was. Um, like the president or the secretary of the junior legion of mary at my parish and he was like i think it's important for us to do an outreach or a fundraiser for for a um a pregnancy center and so we did um we sold like little rubber wristbands at the parish um at the time when those lift strong wristbands were famous you know Mm -hmm. so this one had a little blue one that said pro-life on it and so people were buying that um and so that was my earliest kind of memories of that yeah, that's awesome. And you grew up in Awatuki. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's also Arizona. where I grew up. So it's crazy that we haven't met in except for the past, you know, four or five years or since. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what about healing ministry? You know, when I, I was talking to some people, like, who should I talk to about healing ministry? And instantly I got text back, Father Kurt Pereira. <laughs> Yeah, so when I was a seminarian, I was assigned one year, all the seminarians are assigned to like um, to either hospitals or, you know, doing kind of hospital ministry. But for that year, for some reason, I was not assigned to a hospital, but I, I was instead assigned to a Bethesda. It was called Bethesda Healing Ministry, and it was for it was a healing ministry for post-abortive women. And they only choose two seminarians from each class to to participate in something like this. And I was one of the seminarians out of the two that were chosen. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it was out in Columbus, Ohio, and um, it was actually started by by co-founded by Bishop Olmsted at the time that he worked with a lay woman who was a um, a counselor and a psychiatrist. And um, and so she just really felt a call to to combine this aspect of prayerful approach to, to, to healing and also the all the information that medical science provides too in terms of psychology and counseling to kind of bridge that. So she worked under um, Bishop Olmsted's guidance and helped form Bethesda Healing Ministry at Columbus, Ohio. And that's how I got in touch with it. And then meanwhile, I came back to Phoenix one summer and I was out at a parish and one of the ladies approached me and and said you know i really want to work with with healing ministry for post-abortive women do you know any program out there that could be helpful and something that we could bring to phoenix and i said yes i just came from a year of working at bethesda healing ministry and it was just it was just a beautiful experience of that and so we were able to bring that to um, a version of it to to phoenix now it's called an experience of hope and um, it's beautiful because it's this one-on-one um, counseling and prayerful like approach to I mean I wouldn't say sorry I shouldn't say counseling but it's because it's not necessarily that but it's it's basically encountering women who have had an abortion and who want to seek healing from a faith perspective and also from an experience of, of background of, of psychological kind of healing that's awesome. I didn't. I haven't actually heard of that one. I, everyone always talks about Rachel's Vineyard, um, which is great. And we do um, have retreat at St. Tim's in Mesa that they are doing Rachel's Vineyard's uh, retreats and healing. And um, men and women can go to that one. But I hadn't heard of the, ex- you said experience for hope? An experience of hope, oh, yeah. Hope. Okay. 
And the thing that's different um, approach to than Rachel's Vineyard is Rachel's Vineyard tends to be a little bit more for a group approach. It's a retreats type setting. And we begin to notice that some women, especially since this, the wound of abortion is, is, is very deep sometimes and, and they've been keeping it inside for so long that sometimes to be able to, you know, to say, hey, let's go on this big retreat where you're gonna meet other women and men um, and you know, it's talk sometimes a little feelings. bit frightening, right? And yeah. talk about this, <laughs> this experience can be really daunting. So what we do is we, we say, hey, the best way to describe it, it's a individualized Bible study in which another woman walks with you um, through this process of healing. Um, so it's not really counseling, but it's, it's deeply rooted in scripture. Um, and while it's not just limited to Catholics, it's open for anybody. Um, we are, we do dive um, into this um, into this experience of, of healing through the Catholic lens awesome. and through I'll scripture. Yeah, put a link to that in the show notes because I think that that's a, obviously a really good resource. Um, there's obviously a lot of panic right now, um, especially just women being concerned about health and um, being worried that they're not going to have access to health care. But there's also a strange amount of apathy. So how do both of these things need to be addressed specifically through healing? Is there a, a wound on a deeper level in our hearts and in our culture that needs to be addressed, maybe even before winning over hearts for the pro-life movement? Um, no, that's an excellent question, and you're so right. There's definitely deep wounds um, in, in our hearts and in our culture today. And I think in order to address, as you so pointed out, this, this panic and also the sense of apathy, I think both of those need time and commitment because I think when um, when the greater society and culture sees the time and the commitment that is really poured into this you know issue and, and especially among pro-life people that we are deeply committed and we want to walk with you not just for the period of you know to, to get you know for the birth of the child but but throughout your entire life I mean this is something that's life-changing and life-altering and so um, I believe we must address this as a church um, because we we are recognizing that there's the Catholics and people of faith are aborting at almost the same rate as you know the culture if not the same and so we have to ask that question how can this be what are we doing you know if we're supposed to be people of faith why why is it that the fact is you know that the rate is still the same and so we have to ask ourselves, you know, where are the sermons or the homilies or the talks on love and empathy um, and respect for life despite the chaos that's around us? And how do we reach out to women and the men who are sitting in the pews every day at Mass, every Sunday, sitting there silent and feeling wounded and ashamed and trapped, you know, especially because they believe they somehow won't be accepted or welcomed or loved uh, if people knew their wounds? And I think that's a critical question that we need to ask uh, for anybody of who's of the faith, right? Um, to say, you know, it's okay, it's okay. You will be accepted and 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 loved, and that your life is not defined by your by what you have done. You know, I think that I mean that goes even beyond abortion. And I do think that my interactions with uh, some non-denom churches, I just really admire that about them that they are just so. They're so open, like, I've messed up, and here are my mistakes, and I'm going to walk through them, and they're very real with their wounds, and I feel like, uh, as Catholics, sometimes we, we don't want to show our wounds. 
exactly because yeah. what we do is i think you know especially like the devil or the, the enemy tries to to keep us in this rotating spiral of lies that say you know what you don't need this or you don't need to show this or you will be absolutely judged and there's no way that you can come back from this um, and so to really win over hearts i think we need to learn how to talk to those who are wounded by abortion and to sit with that residue in their hearts it's not easy to address um, but i think it can be done and it is the unspoken burden of at least two generations of catholic men and women um, and we find them in our families in our churches among our friends and so yes this message definitely needs to be proclaimed today and and embraced speaking of uh, the wounds we know that um, a lot of people's concerns are focused on how the baby was conceived even when we mm -hmm. are making these new abortion laws there's an exception for rape and um be, and to be fair to them these people that are rallying they really in their minds are just protecting the mar the mother's heart and needs which is a good thing and as a, a pro-life people we of course are also worried about the mothers too and we want to help them but can you explain why an abortion is not a solution to a traumatic event like rape? Like, excellent question and very, very, very timely. Um, you know, as we know, abortion is never, ever a solution. It's a procedure that interrupts motherhood by destroying one life and wounding another forever. And we should not accept the lie that it is a solution to anything because it is simply not a good enough response to a crime like rape. You know, a response is required, but one that takes into account the fact that you have one criminal and two victims. And how are the victims to be treated? What do we know about the aftermath of abortion used in that situation? And we know because victims have told us that when a mother and a baby are not treated as something that should be acknowledged or recognized as even human, further wounding happens and women are damaged in an even deeper manner. And the evidence of a crime is destroyed. The truth is an abortion, um, you know, cannot go back in time and undo a rape. Um, and I think it's important to first of all realize that a rape is a very traumatic and sinful and evil thing. And we should do everything we can to be with the woman and also through legal means to make sure that a person who commits such a heinous crime like that is persecuted to the, ex to the full extent of the law, right? Um, and so it's recognizing both, but at the same time, we know that if we, if we allow the woman to have an abortion, that in the end, it's gonna be even more wounding and it never can undo what's been done. So we have to deal in the reality that something terrible really happened and we must walk with her and not turn our backs on her. And frankly, to be honest, like, an abortion, and I know this might be very controversial to say, but it's really a sex abuser and sex trafficker's dream because it's their get out of like jail free card. Because if we think that it is not used on women that have been sex trafficked or abused uh, without their consent, we're not just, we're not facing reality. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I've heard also, you know, you don't, try to heal trauma with trauma because the reality is that abortion is still a traumatic event um, and you don't fight tragedy with tragedy or trauma yeah. with trauma um, and I've also heard you know we don't even give the death penalty to the rapist so why would we give the death penalty to the innocent party and I think yeah, that's important I think that's a super yeah that's that's 
that's a really good point and and yeah i i i totally agree with that we shouldn't add trauma on top of trauma already instead i think this is a real good opportunity to show an outpouring of love and support and walking with those that are victimized we were talking before we started recording a little bit about the abortion pill and they just make it media especially and of course all these companies and Planned Parenthood they make it seem like it's no biggie and Plan C's website actually says it's safer than Tylenol <laughs> but they do not talk about the trauma I mean they say you can take this up to um, through 11 weeks and at the 12 week mark the baby's the size of about a strawberry or a fig and they do not talk about how you know you take this abortion pill and it still has to be flushed out yeah. You know, it, has to, it comes out of your body, and that's traumatic as well. They make it seem like, oh, it's no biggie. Um, but there are stories of women who, of course, are traumatized when they go to the bathroom and they flush out a little baby, um, but also the amount of pain. And people seem like they really kind of, like, oh, it's fine. It's like your, it's like your period cramping. Um, but it's horribly painful and can be very traumatic, and I feel like people don't talk about that because they want to paint abortion as a beautiful solution maybe not beautiful a positive solution i know and and the thing i i i really worry about this is when a woman does take these pills they're doing it not under the supervision of any sort of medical professional right so they're doing it at home they, we don't know if there's going to be complications and um and you're right there the, people don't don't talk about the side effects of the of of that pill and through a chemical abortion and the pain that they still experience and the trauma that still happens when when they do that yeah and you don't know how far along you are you don't yeah. know someone could be you know just taken into their own hands there's a lot of things that's a whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um i think that we've all heard about heard this especially on social media lately that we as christians just don't care about the mom or we only care about um, birth we're pro-birth we're pro-birth we're pro-baby Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that a lot of people know a lot about he healing ministry. So can you explain what healing ministry is? You, are, you already kind of touched on it with um, the experience of hope, but how can it help these moms, especially as rape victims or the post-abortive women? Mm -hmm. You know, that's an, a very interesting question because healing truly must begin in the heart, within the heart of the woman. Um, and so, you know, as a priest, often in, you know, confession, you know, sometimes that's the place where this is really breached open and, and that's where the healing begins, right? Um, because oftentimes, you know, they've been keeping this in their hearts for so long and they've never had an opportunity or a chance uh, to find a place where they can come and receive forgiveness, love and mercy. Um, you know, in the in the throne of, of God in, in the, the sacrament of confession. Um, and so, but oftentimes confession, though, isn't the first place where sometimes it, you know, a woman is, reveals her, uh, the wound of abortion. Um, it can happen with a friend or a co-worker. And so I would say that, you know, you're talking about this question of where, can you explain where healing ministry begins? Well, I believe if you're pro-life and if you want to help women wounded by abortion, it should be really good to recognize what you say in conversations about abortion. 
And so when pro-lifers kind of go out and they spout out and they say, oh, you know what, abortion is so horrible. I don't know how anyone could do such a thing. Like, you know, that may be a true statement in a way, but it doesn't invite, you know, it actually pushes them away to think, oh, I can now not reveal this to my friend because they may have just said something and they're going to think I'm a horrible person for doing it. And it doesn't invite that friend or that coworker to share the shame and the hurt that they may be carrying. And so, um, so anytime you're in like in a discussion about abortion, I think it's a really great Christian act to say something like, you know what, no one facing an unplanned pregnancy should walk alone. There's so much free help available these days for anyone who's endured an abortion procedure and is hurting because of that and they can find help too. And that there is so much love and mercy and understanding in that. And to say, you know what, share your own personal testimony. You know, there were times when in a homily, I just basically said that we were all at a dinner table one time um, and it was entirely with my family. And my aunt decided to read a letter that she had written to our senator or something about, uh, you know, pro-life law. And she said, you know, we need to, to let people know and let women know and men know who are involved in abortion that there's always options for choosing life and that we will walk through them no matter what. And then so she's kind of reading her letter in front of my entire family. And then all of a sudden, like somebody in my family stood up and was bawling. Mm -hmm. And then she revealed that she was pregnant. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she was young and, um, you know, and so she, um, and, and immediately my, everybody from my family just got up and gave her a hug. Oh, I got goosebumps. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, sharing those sort of stories I think can really, can really help. And I think more stories needs to flood our podcasts, our social media about acceptance and, and love and support for men and women who find themselves in a situation of unplanned pregnancy. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think applying what you just said also to social media, because people have just been, especially after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, sometimes there's been boasting, and that's not going to invite anybody to talk to you. <laughs> no. Especially if they have questions. Um, if they're not going to want to, to come approach to you if you're not showing love and mercy. Exactly. And I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think you're exactly right. And one of the things too, sometimes when showing and extending that friendship and that love and mercy, um, you know, it's also nice to have something concrete that they can hold on to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important if it's possible to just be aware of the different groups that are available, maybe carrying a pamphlet or um, in a card in your in your in your purse or in your car or something just to hand out when that situation arises and to say hey here's a concrete place you know like such as life choices you know um, to be able to say hey go here um, or and I want to walk with you too um, to know that they have somebody personal and that's um, you know that's going to be their friend throughout it all I think is super important yeah I actually I just typed in to Google, you know, abortion, like healing, healing ministry or healing for, from an abortion. And it, uh, what popped up was abortion changes you. I think it might be abortionchangesyou.com. And 
it's kind of a weird flow of a of a website because it's you, you can't really tell what steps are supposed to go at first but i think that as i navigated this website the first step was to build a support system mm-hmm. so for the post abortive woman build a support system and then from there you can start telling your story ideally to your support system mm-hmm. um, and then exploring your emotions identifying your losses and then recognizing any unhealthy behaviors and so they've they kind of try to make a map of how you can start healing um, from from this, but it, it starts with that supportive system, a support system. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I think it, it, it takes time, it takes friendship, and truly the grace of God, you know, yeah. as well. And so, um, and that's also recognizing that, you know, especially for, I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic priest, like my support system, my entirely, it's the foundation of it is on God, you know. And so um, to realize that we are human beings made in his image and likeness and we have a connection and relationship to him that's that he never severs. You know, he's always constantly pursuing us even when we feel like we're away from him. And um, so I think it's certainly a process and understanding that healing will take time um, and it's okay. You're, you're not, you know, you don't have to have a quick fix on, on this. But I also know that the most successful um, stories of healing have come about because the woman or the man um, has realized that they need and they seek healing and they're willing to do it because it all starts with that, right? Yeah. Too, so. So this website was talking about, sorry, we, we just took a, a little break because suddenly one of my children's puzzles started clucking at us. It's a, chicken puzzle apparently so we got very distracted so bringing it back this website uh is talking about how it's time to make another decision to let go of your pain but recognizing that you might never fully let go of the pain but acknowledging that this is a part of your story um and i I think ultimately giving it to god and letting him make something beautiful out of it those are my words i don't think this website said you know let god make something beautiful out of your story or your pain but um I was looking at it and in the on the top it says you're just once you've you're ready to make that decision put your initials in mm-hmm. and I just kind of looked at it and then I was like what is all this text and it was like pages of people's in- initials oh, wow. and there's one even from today I think that there was like eight this week and I just like it I had like a, a whoa moment um it was really beautiful finally I just want to address the fact that men need healing from abortions as well and you've touched on this um but let's put ourselves in the shoes of these fathers. Maybe he didn't want the abortion to happen, or maybe he didn't even know that she was pregnant until she wasn't. So how do we support these fathers? And how do we encourage men that they can and they should speak up about this? Because this is not just a woman's issue. Uh, Men should not be silent on this. You are exactly right, because I think for so long, many people in the greater society and culture are fed that this is entirely a woman's issue and um, and so therefore it either excuses them to say okay well I'm gonna be remain silent or um, you know to, to say to be empowered and say oh you have no right to speak about it because this is this is my issue and so um, men should not be silent um, and so often I feel like they're shouted down in public by many like pro-abortion groups but it is critical I believe in this time for men to stand up and act as leaders in this area and so um, 
I, it was really eye-opening for me when I started to get involved in the healing ministry and even attending retreats and I started to see men there um, and I didn't realize the impact too at that point I mean now it makes sense right but but a lot of these men as you say they didn't know that sometimes that she was even pregnant or um, the decision was already made and so they their loss of like biological fatherhood was experienced and so just as a woman uh, who has had an abortion um, you know kind of is 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 her motherhood is is you know stripped from her you know or in, in that process so it is with the man and so one thing too that I, I find really helpful that men can do is um, the witness of, of them as, as fathers in, in, in society and in their households and in their families. Um, to see men too praying in front of Planned Parenthood, um, that it's not just a woman out there, is a great thing for men to do. Um, and the fact is to, to get it out there that actually there are many, many fathers who don't want abortion to happen and they find out too late to even offer support. Um, and so sometimes I think when men see other men standing outside of Planned Parenthood, they're open to talking about their own wounds as well because they are so racked with pain and, and guilt and they seem invisible. Um, and they somehow feel like they have no rights or they have no ability to speak out on this issue when they actually do. Yeah, it's awful because I just feel like it's, completely unfair to them that they're shut down and it's also a little ironic because according to the left men can have babies anyway but men can't have a voice so. exactly yeah so it's like yeah so when they say it's just a women's issue it's like well you've just been debating mm -hmm. this whole thing about what is a woman yeah. and so it's like, yeah well for this the sake of this argument yeah yeah i and i've heard also that the the uh increase of vasectomies has just you know skyrocketed since June, was it June 24th they overturned and people were like well done men way to step up and you know to kind of do something to to protect women I'm like they're not doing this to protect women they're yeah. protecting themselves and they are rejecting women and children yeah and and even you you will find that it's not a hundred percent no no you know no contraceptive method uh, besides abstaining from the sexual act is completely 100% you know proof you know uh, uh, so so oftentimes what this encourages is actually like less of uh, you're making yourself less of a man because what you're saying is that I can engage in this act of you know what we call you know love but without any of the responsibilities that it could entail and so you never know sometimes that even this could encourage more infidelity because the man may think, oh, well, my, I'm not, now not going to get any woman pregnant, so I don't have to be faithful to my wife at home. You know, it could encourage the sense of use um, of I'm going to use this woman for, the, for, ple for physical pleasures rather than actually being committed because when a child is brought into a picture, it does change everything. Um, but usually what it brings and should bring out is a more committed, more uh, faithfulness, uh, willingness to sacrifice, all these beautiful qualities and traits that really echo and rese resemble God in a way that all these traits should be brought out in a, in a man and in a woman when they're, when, um, you know, they're 
they're having a child. Yeah. Uh, this is actually the perfect segue because uh, next week on Steadfast, we will be talking to Jason Everett about how the sexual revolution and really this culture and how we view sex really impacts the view on abortion and the abortion culture too. So uh, my final question for you, Father Kurt, is where have you seen God in the past few weeks, particularly in the pro-life movement? You know, um, I just recently um, came across this, um, somebody I know really well, and um, they were on um, driving back from like a party or something like that and or you know just the afternoon luncheon and uh, they found a woman on the side of the road like pregnant pregnant like like her due date was that day um, like it was like yeah and uh, her car had overheated and she was outside with her husband and her husband was trying to to, to fix the car and she was standing out on in 112 deg- degree weather, you know, um, and obviously she was very hot and she just needed air conditioning, you know, and so she was stopping cars. And and I heard, um, you know, in this person relating the story that she had actually went up to this, this to this other car and um, it was a woman driver and the woman just kind of sped by. And uh, and then there was another guy that pulled up and and she was able to talk to him and said, you know, I'm so sorry, my car broke down. My husband's trying to fix it. But right now this is really hot for 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 me and my two little daughters that were with her. And so can you just get me to the nearest air conditioning? (laughs) And, um, you know, this this guy ended up taking her and, you know, uh, waiting with her and her and um, and her kids and then helping the husband to be able to 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 get his car fixed and um, just to, to kind of set that in and, and kind of walked with them and even got them uh, dinner because the kids were complaining that they were, you know, <laughs> that they were hungry and they weren't a very well-to-do family, you know, so they were kind of struggling making ends meet as well. Um, and then at the end, she just basically told him, you know, I saw the face of God. It was like as if God gave us and our family a kiss today. Um, And so I think that was like a beautiful moment because I think that's what it means to be pro-life, right? Um, And he still keeps in touch with them today, you know, finding out how her, like, you know, like how's her pregnancy going and everything like that. And so, you know, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing, like walking with them and providing for them, not just for, for that. And so, you know, pro-life really truly means pro-life, you know, and not just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be there for a person that's, um, you know, in the abortion clinics and try to make sure that they don't have an abortion, but also stopping for the pregnant lady on the road who was overheating in the 112 degree weather in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, so that's how I just basically, you know, saw the grace of God actually within this past, you know, this past week you know and this just recently happened and that's you know, amazing yeah i hope that she names her child after him yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. thank you so much for coming and i know that you're very busy with all of the many things that you have to do but i'm very thankful for you and thankful to have you in my life serving as a spiritual father and we will be praying for you and thank you for your witness sammy thank you for inviting me and you know, for, for your example of motherhood and, uh, and, and a woman of faith as well. So really glad to be here. Thank you.
I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Father Kurt. And if you would like to stay tuned to hear some outtakes of some weird chicken puzzle stuff, you just hang on tight. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking at this website even there was a section of like, okay, maybe you've gone through these steps and you're trying to continue your journey of healing, but at a certain point, you're going to have to let go of the pain and kind of acknowledge, I mean, you're never going to really fully let go of the pain, but acknowledge that this is part of your story. Is that chickens in the background? Or is that, that might be one of your kid's toys. Why did it just go off? I don't know. Oh my gosh, that was terrifying. <laughs> I thought, wait, for a minute there, I was like, are there chickens in the back? <laughs> yeah. I just had like, a, are my kids here? No? Did Mike get get chickens? Okay, well, that was terrifying. So glad that our puzzles are talking. That's a puzzle. That's a farm puzzle. That's, oh, that's... that's okay, <laughs> bringing it back. The chicken really threw me. Okay. This will be in the outtakes. Like. I know, I'm like, I definitely maybe might want to keep the chicken. <laughs>